my ability to stay present has increased greatly. The daily practices have really calmed my nervous system, allowing me to be present and not worry about the past or the future. But just the increase in my family activity, not worrying about work, not really worrying about anything but the present moment. Welcome to the Biology of Trauma podcast, the show that provides professionals with the knowledge and tools for effective science-based solutions for the trauma healing journey. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and I've done the hard work so you can stop your endless searching, have a roadmap for your own work, and be able to help others more powerfully. Welcome to this episode of the Biology of Trauma podcast. I am your host, Dr. Amy. That was John as he was taking his foundational journey, and that is exactly what we're talking about in this episode. In this episode, we're talking about parenting and the crisis of confidence so many parents face when it comes to knowing what our children need. So in this episode, we're answering the question, what is the best protection we can give our children as we raise them in a traumatizing world? In our culture, we have lots of parenting books and workshops, and they have become the go-to resource. And that may not be where the answer lies. As parents, we primarily want to not pass on our own issues to our kids and really want to set them up for truly being happy and having an inner guidance that won't be affected by the opinion or power of others. My special guest for this episode is none other than Dr. Gordon Neufeld, a developmental psychologist and the one who Gaber Mate credits for teaching him about attachment. Here is what you will learn. What is at the root of attachment? Why books and workshops may not be the answer. How being a confident and competent parent isn't about having the answers actually. And what is the most important element for a parent to know? what parents need to know about the alpha mode, and why trying to manage behaviors actually can make things worse. And finally, the single most important thing a parent needs to know as they raise their child in a traumatizing world. Today we're talking about how Dr. Neufeld says a parent can be the smartest parent, have read all of the books, and yet still not know how to be the answer that our children need. So we need to experience a felt sense of safety for ourselves, and that allows us to be able to be the answer for our children and be able to create that same thing for them. Dr. Neufeld, I wish I had known of your work before adopting my son, Miguel. Mm. And uh, so much of this is having learned it experientially myself and realizing Mm. that everything that I was doing was not working. And that's how I uh, came into attachment, being a medical physician and never, never Uh. even knowing any of that stuff beyond just, oh, yeah, you've Mm -hmm. got an attachment style. To properly introduce you today, Dr. Gordon, I invited Gaber Mate to share a few words about you and his experience writing the book, Hold On to Your Kids With You. My work would be nowhere without Gordon, actually. So um, if for me, Gordon, um, who is also a good friend, um, but, but more important than that, he's the world's most profound developmental psychologist. Like nobody understands attachment and development, child development, the way Gordon does, because he understands it completely from within the child's experience. 
and uh, anybody who hears him speak will resonate with that right away. And it, and and, but it's not purely. I'm not talking about a subjective sense here. I'm also talking about a very objective sense. But he just understands the needs and the processes and the um, stages of child development and how the nurturing environment and family dynamics and cultural dynamics affect children throughout the course of development. This, of course, is a long course into adolescence and adulthood. So uh, I was just very fortunate. So for me, he's uh, just an indispensable resource. But the thing with Gordon is, and I said this to him, that that orientation material that him and I worked on, that we wrote the book about, and it's his work. I was his amanuensis, if you wish. I was the person doing the writing along with him, but it's all his analysis. That's only a small part of what he's got to say. I mean, big as it is, I wish he's written, he had written 10 other books. Then when you see him speak, you'll see that he really comes from the heart. So um, he's very intu- in- intelligent and very analytical, like he very methodical analyst, much more so than I can be, you know. But, but also he comes directly from the heart. And you can see that in the warmth of his tone and in the manner of his presentation. So he, he, he intellectually totally understands and he's on top of the theory and he's on top of all the published material and who said what, when, and what year, who wrote what. But beyond that, he actually got this intuition and this heart-given uh, understanding of the child. So the actual creation, creative process was very mutual. He would set down his ideas at great length, sometimes more length than one I might have wished, but uh, yes, but very clearly. <laughs> and then it would be my job to edit it down and to provide the phrasing to make it more reader-friendly, to provide the sequence sometimes. And then him and I would play with it together until we were both satisfied with it. So actually, when you read the book, now it's hard to know. It's not exactly typical of one of my books. It's very much written in Gordon's voice. And that was my job to give voice to his work. But it wouldn't have looked the same if I hadn't been involved. It would have been a very different book. So it was really co-created, beginning with Gordon's ideas and formulations, and then me translating that sometimes, or just accepting it or editing it. And, and then sometimes adding my own insights or formulations of things until we're both happy with it. I can't imagine my work without having, having been informed by his. Now, he's not the only attachment theorist in the world, and it's not that I wouldn't have found out about attachment somewhere or other, but my understanding would be nowhere as deep or as um, comprehensive without him. And I hate to think, for example, my new book, without the sections where I had the chance to interview Gordon and, and uh, quote or paraphrase his insights. I mean, I just really have relied on his understanding to inform mine, and he knows that. All right. Yes, this was indeed a surprise. <laughs> very generous of him, very generous of him. Thank you for sharing that. that, that uh, yes, we have, uh, it was wonderful, wonderful to work with him. He is, uh, he, is in, he has incredible integrity. And uh, what, what that does is, uh, I, I have this, 
I have this idea, well, many philosophers do, but you can only see as much as you feel. And that there is have to be there has to be an honesty with yourself before you can see the world as it is. So what okay. you say, what you say in speaking about parents to parents, the more mm-hmm. we look for the right answer, yes. the more likely we are to lose our confidence in being our child's answer. That's right. Tell me more. Tell me more about why parents are having a crisis of confidence. Well, when you went back to the beginning, to to be the child's answer, they need to be attached to us because their attachment designates the answer. And if, if they're attached to their peers, then the peers are the designated answer. If they are, if their attachment is fragmented to winning or, you know, then, then winning is the designated answer. So their attachment is that. So ours is to win them. Ours, our first step is to be able to, be able to inspire their dependence, to inspire their uh, on us uh, to, uh, to take care of them, because that's what attachment is all about, is about being, uh, creating the dance whereby we can take care of them and they can receive the care. So that's what attachment is is all about. So the first thing we have to remember is, is it's not what we do. It is the child's attachment to us that allows us to take care of the child. And when we can take care of a child, we can bring them to rest. We find the right intuitions. When we can't, we trip all over ourselves. So, because children are are not falling into attachment or often not in the right ways, they're not depending upon, they go into little bossy little creatures having to be in charge all the time, which really ruins a dance. And they go into the alpha mode. There is a crisis of confidence in parenting today. And the more the crisis is, the more we look to external means to reading to you know to seminars to those kinds of things and of course as soon as we do that we're in the dependent mode and in the dependent mode it aggravates the situation because parenting has to do with finding the alpha caring it's in the alpha mode where we present ourselves not as having the answers but as being the person's answer it's it's like it's just like when you're courting no, you don't court from a, oh, the book says next, 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 next. No, I mean, you're in courtship. You present yourself as the other's answer. Like, I'm your best bet. And the more confident you are, the more it becomes true. Uh, so, yes. So that is where you have this incredible crisis. And it's all about, it's all about children's attachments to us. And we're losing their attachments and, yeah. and they're not attaching in the right way. And that's where we've got to go back to that. That's where everything unfolds. And, you know, your, your, your second theme there is that is the womb in which there is a spontaneous realization of potential. It goes from the, the, the internal womb uh, with the fetus, you know, the, the, before the child is born, uh, to the external womb, uh, to where it continues with the unfolding of human potential, uh, because we've got a long ways to go. And so the unrealized potential or stuckness is another huge, huge, huge theme in our society today. To provide an example of what a an unattached child looks like, um, when when I got my son, he was four years old, 
and very much uh, he saw me as the enemy. He did not see me as someone that he could trust based on of his yes, life experiences, yes, but exactly. also Dr. Newfeld, because the way that I started, this is what I did not yet understand about your work. And that was that I needed to be, in a sense, alpha. I needed to be mm -hmm. a strong presence and being for mm -hmm. him that he could rest in that. And I came in thinking that I just needed to be his friend. Wow. Yes. So I started off wrong. Yes, that is, a, yeah, that's, that's often where we go. If I can be friendly, if I can, exactly. you know, if I can save from upset. Right. Um, yeah. That's, and so that did not allow him the rest in the relationship mm -hmm. that, that, that I'm, that I'm the, hoping, uh, hoping that we can get to in that conversation. Yes. But then the result of this is that I was blocked in my ability to take care of him because he mm -hmm. did not look to me for yes. help. Exactly. We're out walking in the you were street. You thwarted, totally exactly. thwarted. Totally. And he would, he would walk out into the street without mm. even looking to me for help. And so it was me who was having to like run after him to keep him safe because yeah. he was not attached and he would not look to me for, Hey, I need to cross a busy street. Where's my mom? He was just like, no, I'm just going to walk out in the middle of the street. So all of these things that I had taken for granted of watching other families of, Oh, the kids look to them for help, mm -hmm. for assistance, for safety. And to see that not happen in someone who who the attachment was so far ruptured, right? That it was yes. an extreme example, but yet this is what's happening on a certain level in yes. many families today. Exactly. And it's that is same. what is eroding the confidence in parents because Absolutely. They're, they're not they're not getting that that uh that presence, that role, that engagement with their children that is based on attachment. Yes. Uh, absolutely. And and when it goes wrong, that's where you have to go to. Now, I'm a gardener. And what, what you learn in gardening when you graft trees is like when they have to be reattached, like you take them off of one and you put them onto another. So they're reattached. First of all, when you transplant plants, you know, you're always concerned about root shock. And so you, you take most of the ground with you. But when you actually graft, like you do with your apple trees and, and many other things, is that there is there is no rupture. They're, they're, they're bound together. And the one is completely dependent upon the other for the physical nurturance. You know, there's so much we could learn about this. So much we could learn about giving it time. But the point here was not that we're talking about transplanted children, because that, that was your, your situation. But the, the point is, is when things, for all kinds of reasons, children become uh, start uh, revolving around their peers revolving around uh uh, their siblings instead of the parents in charge that that we need to go back to square one we need to start at the beginning if we follow uh, trying to manage the symptoms we'll get nowhere it just makes matters worse we've got to retreat to being able to um uh, to restore right relationship with us and when it does oh my goodness is it a fulfilling dance it is so fulfilling and it's quite natural and quite intuitive but outside of it nothing is intuitive nothing is natural it's incredibly awkward and and again you just you lose your confidence completely and when you have that, it's not only the parent's confidence that naturally will be there, but it's also the child's self-esteem. Yes. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes, they need to see the twinkle in our eyes. They need to see the invitation to exist in our presence. That's what we're all after, you know, for everyone. We Am I invited to exist in your presence? And if they don't see that in our eyes, if they don't see that playfulness, if they don't see that that, that invitation, automatically, as uh, as neuroscience has, has told us, the uh, there is this deep sense of biological shame. Even the axons and dendrites that are part of the the attachment circuitry in the brain curl up. You know, it, it is it is a problem. Like attachment is at every root. It's between the neurons and the axons and dendrites. It's it's at every level. And so you see this response in this like this shriveling, this going, this 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 blunting of of the connection that is there. So much in the methodology that I teach with the biology of trauma is of course the nervous system, right? Because that is like our designed for survival and safety. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what it is, right? Where I cannot have a conversation or teach about the nervous system and neurodevelopment without also talking about attachment because That's right. they happen together Yes, and, and, and in such a way that you couldn't pull them apart. No, it is all about attachment. <laughs> You know, the the right hemisphere has to be attached to the left hemisphere. If it isn't, there's problems. You know, the hand has to be attached. I mean, everything is about attachment. There's no life outside the attachment. The very core of our drive for togetherness, which is all about attachment and where survival lies in our togetherness. And so uh, that's the drive. Is this invitation to exist in another's presence? is to see it in the eye, see it in the twinkle in the eye, see it in the embrace. This is, you know, there's many words for this. We could call it love. We could call it, you know, uh, but it's an invitation to exist in the other's presence. And so that is, we are the answer to this. When you know you are the answer, it brings out something completely different in you. You know, I am the answer to this, that they need to experience this. Like how often today has my child experienced, the, you know, the invitation to exist in my presence? to see that you know to see my delight in there so we're the answer to their need for togetherness we are to where they look i will hold on to you through thick and thin i i will you know when you're apart i you'll, you'll always be in my heart so there is the answer to this this isn't a matter again of having answers this is a matter of being the answer and uh, the, the research that i talk about in my book is when they take young moms just 15, 16 year old teenage moms, 40 year old. And, and, you know, some, they show how to take care of the baby. And then they had another group where they just match make. Oh, the baby's looking at you. You're going to be such a wonderful mom. And they would match make the fact that the mom was the answer to the child. The ones that felt the answer they moved to take care of. They were on their radar. Everything unfolded intuitively. And it, it, nature takes care of these things if the attachment is right. But that's where we need to step forward. Now, I am your answer. I will step forth to be that answer and to answer your needs for togetherness and however they are. And that's the biggest need we have. And speak a little bit about this element of letting them be able to express any emotion. And it being a safe thing to do. Yes. Yes. Well, that is so important. Emotion needs safety. 
because it, it needs to be expressed before you can feel it. It's like uh, electricity. If you think of static electricity, it has to move before you can feel it. Uh, feelings drive everything, potential. They are at the heart of everything. Uh, the, the, the issue of the smoking gun of trauma is a loss of feeling. That's what the stress response is. And, and so safety is absolutely essential. And that, again, is where play becomes really important, that the parent takes the responsibility to make room for whatever emotion is. But when we're in the play mode, it doesn't count for real. And then it's safe. And so if there is frustration there that is erupting and attacking energy, then the first thing a parent needs to do is look for a safe emotional playground where that could come out. Then you can come alongside of the a child. We should always be, I, you know, whenever we are there, oh, I, oh, just an example there. Oh, I see you are frustrated. Something isn't working for you. That frustration needs to come out here. Let me help you find a fun way to do this. And these are the are the ways, whether it is the tantrum of the two-year-old or the aggression of, you know, of an adolescent or even the suicidal inclination. I see that you're quite frustrated and upset. That frustration needs to come out. Here, help me find you a safe way to be able to do this. And so you come alongside this. And this is true for all the emotions in a child because feeling one's emotions are the thing that allows us to recover from trauma, to recover from anything that has not gone well, from adversity and so on. And so that parent plays a huge part in being able to create that safety. So it's not as if they have to say, yes, you can say anything to me you want. It's not that. It is coming alongside to say the emotions need to come out. I am responsible for helping to find a safe way for you. And one of the things that I did wrong with my son was that I was I was still very uncomfortable with certain emotions <laughs> and I did, I didn't, I did not feel those emotions in myself yet. I had never let myself feel those emotions. And so here he's having some big emotions and he was not able to see me or experience me as someone who could help him through those big emotions. And on a less extreme example, this is what I see has happened to a lot of parents is that they were never modeled. They never had that guide to walk them through those types of emotions. And so then when they have children, they, they don't know. And it also yes. makes, it may make them very uncomfortable seeing those emotions in their children when yes. they have not been in touch with those in their own body. Yes. Yes. And, and that's where, again, the emotional playgrounds are so important because what culture is essentially is emotional playgrounds. It is music. It is art. This is what culture is. And when we lose our culture, we lose the places where emotions play and all emotions play. For instance, in the, you know, when a child is, is it, it, when there's a lot of pursuit energy, the, the first thing children do is play the hunt, the chase the find. And uh, the, the very first thing that spooks them is separation. And they play peekaboo. And they'll do that already at, at seven, eight, you know, eight months of age. They'll, they'll do this. So they have to play with it to be able to bear it. Now, as we lose all of these kind of cultural games, as we're being in front of our screens, as we lose the way of being able to feel ourselves, because those things all allow us to feel ourselves in a way that's unbearable. 
then we get a, then we get afraid of them. I was going to say a scared of them, but I'm thinking of my grandchildren's language. <laughs> we get afraid of them, and uh, you know, and, and uh, uh, so, so some of I mean, my my grandchildren, three of them are in university, so but <laughs> three of them are 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 still uh, in the in the school age. But yes, that is a huge thing. When we're uncomfortable with our own emotion, we we are afraid. We think if we give it an inch, it will take a mile in our children. And we're afraid of where it will lead to. And we want good behavior. And of course, that is the recipe for trouble. You know, that's, yes, we want children to, we need to manage them. Yes. But their whole way of finding self-control is through finding their feelings first. It's not a skill that's taught. It's a capacity that's grown. And if they can't feel their emotions, they won't find their way to be able to have that kind of self-control and, and subscribe. So emotional expression and emotional playgrounds, emotional playgrounds, not physical playgrounds. They're important too. Where I would love, love to go next is then this um, concept that you teach around missing somebody and that that being a natural outflow of attachment and caring. Let's well, well, that is. You know, that, that's the first thing. A healthy three-year-old, as soon as they can talk, when mommy is away or say, oh, I miss. And they feel the hole that's inside. And when they feel the hole inside, they can also feel full. But you have to feel empty before you can feel full. And that's why feelings are the answer. When a child gets to four and they can no longer feel, instead of saying, I miss, they say, I'm bored. And then we think we need to fill the hole with something other than ourselves, you know, or whatever it is. And so being able to feel the holes are, are absolutely essential. It's one of the first, first signs that you see when a child loses the ability to feel the attachment holes inside of them, they lose the ability to feel fulfilled. You can no longer bring them to rest. And bringing them to rest is what is necessary for all their growth. I tried to be really quick. <laughs> <laughs> and, right, like, and uh, when when I heard you explain that for the first time, it took me back to adolescence, actually. Mm. And that was the first time that I became consciously aware that I would not let myself feel that I was missing somebody. Mm. It was, it, it felt unmanageable yes. at the time. Uh, it was too unbearable 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 too much yes and that that continued on into adulthood until i was able to mm -hmm. you know do do some work and a lot of somatic work and, and get and your whatnot. feelings back get my feelings back. yeah get your feelings <laughs> back that's what we need that is everything you know feelings will take care of us right? we need to get our feelings back when we do they will take care of us yes and that is for our children, uh, you know, helping them at the end of the day, get their feelings back when they, you know, they've been distressed or whatever, getting their feelings back is the most significant thing. That's, that is the essence of recovery. The essence of recovery is getting your feelings back. The feelings will do the rest. And it actually makes me think of uh, just this morning. So just this morning, before jumping on with you, I was leading one of my 21 day journey courses, the classes, and one of the members there, this is her second time taking the course. And she said that when she took it back in November, she couldn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And this is very common. I think that mm -hmm. a lot of us are like that. And we yes. just, we, we don't even, we are, we're not even aware that we don't feel. Yes. Like it's, it's yes. Been that blocked. That's off. right. <laughs> yes. Oh, was I supposed to feel something here? <laughs> I know. 
Yes. Amazing to me when I invite them like, okay, I'm going to lead you through these 21 exercises. And we, the first week we create a felt sense of safety in their body Mm. in order to be able to do this work. And they start to feel, and oftentimes, of course, right? Like as, as you know, oftentimes what comes up first are uncomfortable sensations, right? Of course. Those are (laughs) exactly. And they're, they're wondering, what am I doing wrong? Because I thought that I would feel better. And I'm like, Oh no, honey. Like, (laughs) but that's also why we have to do this so safely Mm -hmm. and so gently because otherwise and naturally, Otherwise, and natural, naturally, yes, not, you. not too contrived mm-hmm. naturally. Yes. And that's why, again, mm-hmm. I go to emotional playgrounds. Most yeah. of us know the places, the music that we listen to that yeah. comes to, you know, in music, if we let it, we'll come to collect the emotions that are stuck, translate them into fe- feelings, or we can avoid them with music too. But if we let music do its job, it will come and it will be the sweeper of stale emotion. It will collect those things and it will move us to sadness when we need to do so, and or painting or, or movement or dance or all, all of these things, If but we, we need to use it in a way that's not about outcome, not practicing for a recital, not doing this, but truly a place for our emotions to 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 play to be felt yeah exactly not not to control not to fix not to change that's right but but to let to let it to let it come up to let it surface yes and and it's the safest and that's why i bring it it's not too contrived it's the safest like when you're doing a, a body work when you when you do that you have somebody who can hold the space Somebody who can who can be there who say it's okay like you can you know who can be a midwife to this process you need midwives for it you know and 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 that is important when you have some midwife to this process to hold that space that's a very important but when you don't you know are you are you alone completely no you aren't because nature wants to take care of us and so I would always say to my adult clients you know you, you won't have me forever but you'll have play find an emotional playground that you had in your childhood let yet your emotions come and and they always did and so it's how nature takes care of us and play is nature incognito so even if neurodevelopment and attachment had some gaps in it yes there is still so much that a person can do. <laughs> there's always hope because so there's plasticity. Always there's yeah. always a, a potential that will spontaneously unfold. That's the beauty of it. No matter how high your ACE score, those of you readers that are familiar with that, no matter how this, this the human thing is, is that the, the, the human hope, the human condition is, is that when we get our feelings back, our feelings will take care of us spontaneously. Our potential will unfold spontaneously. It, it is never too late. Uh, it's, it's always there. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time today. Uh, but more, more than that, uh, thank you for the work that you've done in the world. You have changed many more lives than what you know. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with you. And, and uh, it, it, uh, it, it's great when you, you're wanting the interview to keep on going on and on because you, you share it. I, sometimes in interviews, I, you know, I'm five minutes in and I want it to end already. So, so this is a great experience. You're doing great work. Thank you, Dr. Newfield. And thank you for joining me for this episode. Parents are facing a crisis of confidence and for good reason. This is a traumatizing world that we're trying to raise kids in. And the feedback that I often get is, I don't think I'm a good enough parent. I love how Dr. Newfeld highlights the importance of helping our children feel 
their emotions. That is one of the key skills that our children can have to navigate the world and not be collecting trauma. And this is definitely one episode where I would love to hear your thoughts and responses to the topics that we discussed. Attachment, togetherness, being the answer, not feeling feelings. We covered a lot. Please leave your comments on the webpage or the show notes for this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts. And in the show notes, I'm going to include a number of links to resource you with information. I will include a link to my attachment trauma roadmap, as well as some other articles I've written that explain how attachment is so much of our biology as well. There is a document called Attachment is Regulation and the Biology of Attachment Bundle. I also have an attachment-focused biology of trauma health coaching session where you can have a one-on-one health coaching session, and we will look at your health symptoms through that lens of attachment and being able to even bring in some of the neurodevelopment that I work with for the attachment. Finally, we have the foundational journey, which would be where you start. That foundational journey is where you would lay the foundation of regulation for us to then be able to safely do a deeper dive into attachment and start to reprogram the attachment programming specifically that we each have had. I am your host, Dr. Amy, and until next episode, sending you lots of love. Thank you for joining me today. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to subscribe. We definitely will learn, laugh, and sometimes cry together on this healing journey, and you won't want to miss an episode. Give my podcast five stars, share it with a friend or colleague. If you felt an impact as it truly helps get the word out and breaking the paradigm of how we do trauma work. I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Until then, this is your host, Dr. Amy, sending you lots of love.